Finding Sublime. This is a podcast about slowing down and savoring all the beautiful, delicious, and delightful facets of Japan. So we recently decided to get out of Tokyo and go to northern part of Japan and uh, discover some things that have been on our list of to-dos. A couple years ago, I had a business trip. I guess it was about a year and a half ago, kind of during one of the lulls of COVID when it seemed like travel was opening up in the country. And I had a business trip to Tohoku and got to experience some really cool places. But since I was there for work, I didn't fully get to explore. And I also found out about some other things I wanted to visit. So that was the inspiration for going somewhere new. I found out about a pass available through JR East that if you do not have a Japanese passport, if you have another passport, you can get a pretty good deal for unlimited travel in the region. So we just decided to pounce on that. Yeah, tell people what JR is. Oh yeah, so JR is Japan Railways. For those of you not based in Japan, Japan Railways is really famous for the Japan Rail Pass, which if you're coming from overseas, a lot of people get it for a week or two and just travel unlimited throughout Japan. But in this case, it this is a, a little bit cheaper. It was 20,000 yen for five days anywhere in the Tohoku region. So we just thought, okay, what can we, what can we really do over this sort of, we made a, a five day period. Yeah. Well, five days, four nights. It was, there was a national holiday culture day, Bunka no Hi, and I decided to take the Friday off of work. So we kind of stretched a long weekend out of this thing. It was nice because once again, something that I have not done and it was cool because you sort of had this that's recon earlier with work. So you knew sort of what was going on up there and you're a research nut. So you had been collecting all sorts of things about the area, what we could see, what we could eat, what we could hear, you know, if, if there's any waterfalls or rivers or onsen. Yeah, I honestly think we really need to get our driver's licenses that to really explore some of the places I want to see. This only confirms we really need to get our driver's licenses mm -hmm. because in the research I saw even more places that I'd love to visit. But in this case, we are going around a rail pass and, and looking at what could we do just by train. And another motivation was the time of year. The fall leaves are spectacular in mm. Japan. And although Japan is famous for its cherry blossom season, cherry blossom viewing, it's probably just as famous for the autumn leaves, which is called koyo here. It literally means red leaves. And northern Japan gets some really vibrant colors that I don't know if it's caused by the cold. I probably should look this up, what causes it. But I feel like the colors are more vibrant up there, just the bright yellow, the orange, the red, practically neon. <laughs> yeah. And so the timing was really important. I was looking up like, what, when do the leaves peak in which place? And that was kind oh, of the rationale. Was a good motivator. Yeah. It was worth making it a destination just to see those trees. It really was. I was blown away. I couldn't believe how many different shades of golds, yellows, reds, even greens. It was, it was nuts. Since Thursday was a holiday, we knew, and I also knew from looking online, that the train seats were booking up. So we took advantage of my ability to work flexibly and got out of town on a Wednesday, and I did all my work from the train, and it was actually really great focus time. 
And we took the train about as far as we reasonably wanted to go in a day up to Morioka, which is in Iwate Prefecture. How was that ride for you? That was the first time going to Tohoku for you. It was totally easy for me. I feel, you know, a two-hour train ride, it was just over two hours. A two-hour train ride is definitely doable. And that amount of time can get you all over Japan. And, you know, I had a good time seeing what the landscape was like as we're leaving the big city and seeing all the agriculture and being able to see all the changes in colors coming our way. It was, I don't know, it was quite delightful. This was leaving from Tokyo Station. So a little over two hours nonstop on the Shinkansen from Tokyo to Morioka Station. And I really felt like once we got to Iwate Prefecture, I don't know at what point I noticed because I was doing a lot of work and I had my nose buried in my laptop. But at a certain point, I looked out the window and it was just fields and farms and hills and mountains. And, and I definitely appreciated that feeling of getting away, which it's hard to achieve that, especially when you... I'm used to going to Kyoto at this point. I'm used to going to certain parts of Japan, very well-trodden paths. And along the way, you might see, you know, some, you might see Fujisan, but you might see some also just industrial wasteland right. that's not particularly appealing. But I really loved going to Tohoku and and realizing, oh, yeah, you're, you're not in the city anymore, Dorothy. <laughs> you're, you're getting close to that destination that you've been reading about. I decided upon Morioka as our first stop, um, first of all, because we wanted to stay in a business hotel just to keep it cheaper, to keep it convenient. And also I knew that because I had work to do and I literally needed to skedaddle from the station to the hotel and check in right away so I could hop on another work call. You sit at the desk at the hotel. Yeah. In the room. I didn't want to go to a ryokan right away because I knew if we went to one of these traditional inns, for those of you who aren't familiar with the traditional Japanese inn, the ryokan, the experience is very all-encompassing. You usually check in from three o'clock in the afternoon, and once you're there, you're in their world. It is not like a hotel. It is meant to be a place where you slow down, you have your bath, and you have your- you can relax. Yeah, you have your meal, and you it's purely about chill time, but, I didn't want to go to one of those places and be in work mode. So I wanted to get work mode out of the way. The business hotel was a good decision. And the business hotel actually had an onsen on the premises. So, so I was... you were done with your work and you could bop downstairs. And Yeah, I was happy with that. I, I went out and really enjoyed discovering the streets of Morioka with my camera. And every city is different, obviously. But each area has its own little things. And people do things differently. I've encountered uh, the proprietors of restaurants or people working at restaurants were outside and they were a lot more vocal than I'm used to. And that was really, really fun. Oh, really? Yeah. They so were friendly? They were, well, I mean, they were friendly, but they were just out there describing their meals to the world, you know, and I mean, that happens everywhere, but it was more so than I was used to. It was really, really fun. And as it got dark, you know, the lights came on, the lanterns came on, people were getting off work, and it was really cool. I had a really great time. So I was able to go back to the hotel. You had just finished work, and we just had a great time. We found this amazing little izakaya, and the place specialized in seafood. I don't even know what to call it. 
big stack of burning charcoal. It was like a, a, a heavy wire cylinder with charcoal inside it. The charcoal was stacked up inside and the chef would skewer whole fish and stick the skewers in the ash around the charcoal and slowly, every so often, he'd come back and rotate them. So they would slowly roast. And the fish was so delicious. It was really cool to see because, you know, the cylinder was probably about, oh, about a foot or so high with the charcoal inside it. And, you know, the fish on skewers are, are long as well. So there's nice, even cooking and mm -hmm. slow cooking. And you you could see it right from our, you know, we were at the counter, which we like to sit at. And because of moments like that. And the chef was so cool, he, you know. He gave us his business card afterwards. <laughs> he was actually willing to walk us to another place, which we were like, well, we probably shouldn't have any more sake. <laughs> right, right. It was nice to have everybody in the kitchen. Really, you know, they were very, very nice. Everybody was... Um, not animated, but they were really into their jobs. I remember at one point they would get this this stack of uh, you know this handful of of hay and and crunch it in half and then put it in the fire and this huge flames of smoke and they'd put the fish in the smoke. Ah, yeah, the can guy we, can was we go there tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. It, I mean, and it smelled incredible in there mm. from all the burning and roasting and toasting. Mm. Um, but this guy was sort of searing the fish over the open flame. But he also, he had the fish in one hand, like in some kind of... Like a, like a tray or some, like a tray with a handle or something? Yeah, some sort of like mesh thingy, mm, yes. I think. And then in his other hand, he had a fire extinguisher. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was so fun. Appropriate. And the, we also... The flames, the flames were tall. Yeah, and we also talked to a nice gentleman who was sitting next to us, and he was also from Iwate, and he was super curious about us. And we learned that he's actually, he lives in Tokyo, but he goes to Iwate for work and was telling us about his hometown, which is on the coast. And we're like, can we get there by train? And he's like, well, it might take you a while. You're better off with a car. But I another reason for us to get a car. Yeah, the universe is telling us something. So the next day then, we... Actually, we visited a really cool shop that was on my list. The shop is called Ono Hand-Dyed Cloth, Ono Sensai Sho, and it's in downtown Morioka, walking distance from the station. The shop specializes in these traditional Nambu stencil dyeing. It's handmade, hand-dyed, stencil-dyed textiles that they've crafted into tote bags, placemats, you name it, lots of things for the home. The shop had this really cool kind of kominka feel to it. Lots of old ceiling beams and beautiful wood details. And the owner was telling us that these were actually taken from an old building that was being uh, torn down. And they added these at some point to give it more character, which just the whole atmosphere in the store was cool. And then as we got to speaking with him more, he was explaining more about the shop and the things on display. History. and and then he mentions, oh, by the way, we have a little mini museum upstairs that's free, so feel free to go check it out. It was very interesting to see so many things preserved so well. I mean, many of these things were hundreds and hundreds of years old. It's like right there in front of our face, and this, you know, you'd never know it unless he said something or you saw this place from across the street and went in and asked. There's, you know, there's so much history in this one shop. I'm glad you said something to him. 
it was interesting to see the visuals of the craftsmanship, the work that goes into this Nambu stencil dyeing. I guess it goes back a couple hundred years ago and was a relic of the samurai culture. And because Northern Japan was a little bit out of the cultural mainstream for generations, likewise, a lot of these traditional techniques and patterns that were with the family from the very first generation have been carried down. And so I feel like it's a kind of an interesting living history to see these patterns and these techniques that were originally used for samurai's clothing, like under their armor or for ceremonies. It's all very interesting and they use a lot of natural dyes. So if you're interested in Japanese textiles, certainly the northern part of Japan has its own culture that's worth exploring. So a little later we got back on the train and went into Akita Prefecture and these leaves are upon us. The colors, once again, it's getting more vibrant and more vibrant. And then we stopped in another little town. That's right. The town is called Kakunodate, and it has been on my list for quite a while. A place where you can still see these well-preserved samurai houses as they were hundreds of years ago. It's a really, really cool thing to experience history that way, walking through and getting a sense of what their lives were like. It was also interesting seeing the maps of the area. Like when we went into one of these uh, samurai houses to, you know, to see what they're made of, how they're laid out, it was cool seeing the maps of the area and where the most important person lived and everybody else in the neighborhood, how there was a hierarchy. Mm -hmm. And then out past a certain area where it was where all the merchants lived. It was very, very cool. Like a piece of history right there. And the town still reflects that a little bit. You can see where the cluster of samurai houses begins and ends. And this area is also very cold and gets a lot of snow. So in these houses, these samurai houses, there's displays of clothes. And I thought it was really cool to see their snow boots that were made. There's something about uh -huh. that bit that... And then a photo, uh, a really old photo of some people wearing these particular snow boots. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, they really had it down. I love the blanket that was shaped like a kimono. It was basically a wearable mm. quilt. That was on display in the Aoyagi Samurai House that had a really impressive display that was much like a little museum with artifacts, armor, things from their everyday lives. It was quite impressive how much was very well preserved. I couldn't believe how much armor there was. So many things preserved and some things looked very intense and meant to scare the enemy and oh, it was all right there preserved. But I also loved the little tchotchkes that the samurai would carry around. They had beautiful little pouches and engraved things and intricate little vessels that I imagine they kept their medicines in or tobacco or who the heck knows. It was just kind of fun thinking of them carrying around their collections of goodies that were all aesthetically pleasing in these beautifully yeah. made and little they containers. They were warriors, they were poets and yeah. they were, there was much more to them than just the sword. Very, very cultured people. And one of the people in this town was actually, I think, the first person to create a Japanese version of an illustrated anatomy book hundreds of years ago. Human anatomy. Human anatomy. Very fascinating. And, and one of the places had an original copy of this thing on display. I couldn't believe how well it was preserved. And I cannot go without mentioning the gardens here. These samurai houses had some incredible properties with gorgeous trees, at the peak of fall color. And of course, it was raining when we went. It rained a lot. I was so bummed. <laughs> we actually had to take a taxi up to the samurai houses because we're like, if we walk all that way in the rain, we would have been drenched. 
We did walk back and it was delightful. But you know, one thing about the gardens is even though it rained a lot, it was nice to smell all that woodsy goodness. And everything there was just, it was delightful even though it was raining. And it made the colors really vibrant. It sure did. So we just enjoyed our walk and we moseyed on back to the station after having a great lunch and stopping to buy some butter mochi. Oh, please tell people what butter mochi is. <laughs> These things are chewy because they're made from the flour of glutinous rice. So they take on a very sort of sticky, chewy texture when mm. they eat them. And they're covered in rice flour. So of course you can pick them up and they won't stick to your hands. But these butter mochi were a little bit sweet and tasted like butter. <laughs> I wish people could see my face right now. So I'm just like, Wah. The first time we had butter mochi, we were in Tokyo and we didn't realize they were a limited edition thing being sold at our neighborhood health food store. We just stocked up on these things and ate them all and went back and got more. And then eventually they no longer they had, yeah, we didn't, we couldn't find them again. And that was when we found out they're actually from Northern Japan. And so being in Akita and randomly going into we some- We took full advantage of this. Yeah, a little grandma's souvenir store. <laughs> and she had them stacked up by the cash register. And I was like, yes, please. Yes, please. I should have brought like, I should have brought like- A few boxes. Yeah, I could have, should have, would have. So from there, we got a shuttle ride to uh, Ryokan that we stayed out in the countryside. And it was a good- Mm, at least a half an hour. At least a half an hour to get out to this place. And it was, the road was paved most of the way. I'd say a little more than half the way. And the paved road is off the main highway. You get up and you're sort of winding into the hills and then it becomes a mountain and the road is no longer paved. But what was cool is that you turn a particular corner and there's this massive lake. Mm, this we, blue we lake. It. Yeah. It was beautiful. So gorgeous. And there's nothing around there. Nothing at all. And of course, we're driving through this autumn wonderland with all the trees turning colors and this turquoise lake. It was spectacular. Early afternoon, the sun is in the perfect space. Yeah, I will not forget that. Mm -hmm. That was that was a surprise. That was a, that was a surprise. You know, I, I didn't know what to expect. I thought the bus, you know, little shuttle would just be going up into this you know, a little hilly area. No, it was an amazing journey up to this Yokan. And once we got there, it was, uh, I couldn't believe that this place was built in the middle of nowhere. It was huge. I think my takeaway for this trip, but especially that part of the trip, was just how much for me when I think about finding Sublime, it is a lesson on enjoying the journey. And I don't always, I don't always enjoy the journey. Sometimes I try to ignore the journey until I get to my destination. But this was an instance where I was reminded by the sheer undeniable beauty of everything along the way that the journey is the point. And you can miss so much if you just don't pay attention. And yeah, I'm grateful for that. I will never forget that journey up, up that mountain. So we get to the inn and it's just surrounded by nature and we had a room with a view of this river. And the river leading into this big lake. Yeah, so that was just as blue as the lake and the mountain across the way was all the colors and we had our own hot springs bath outdoors, a wooden bath. Our room, room had this big window looking out. And the bath overlooked this whole thing. It was... Uh, 
just another thing I'm not going to forget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was spectacular. And you know, when you go to these kind of places, like I said, it's meant to be super relaxing, all-encompassing, and they just pamper you. You forget about everything. That's the intent, right? And that was actually the name of the Yokan meant forget about the city. Mm. Um, but we had a, a huge, lavish, elaborate meal with all these seasonal foods that was served to us in our room. And that's not uncommon, but it's definitely more of a splurge when you're traveling. It was definitely super seasonal food, fish in the autumn here. It's a little bit more fatty and flavorful. You get all kinds of mushrooms. I feel like, of course, the end of summer, you're getting that bounty of the harvest, but it continues into autumn and the flavors in Japan are so delicious in the autumn. So one of the things that I loved so much about this meal was actually the sake pairings and to have different tastes with different parts of the meal was delightful. Having um, sake that's more earthy or more umami taste, and they you know had local sake, they had all sorts of really great things on the menu for us, but just the, the small pairing was really delightful. Well, Akita Prefecture is known for its sake, oh, yeah. so it was nice to just get a tasting of stuff from the region. Oh, you bet. So after we have this long, lavish meal and the sake, and I remember the dessert had this sort of cooked chestnut with a little bit of gold flake on top, Totally simple, but totally decadent. We had a reserve time at this private bath that was actually this huge outdoor amazing space with a, a big hot springs tub and a small hot springs tub and some little hot springs sort of shower things. And it was raining. So it's just this nice contrast between the cool rain and hot water, super relaxing. I know you captured some of this on a video and on our Instagram, you have a couple reels of that particular moment. Yeah, yeah, it was super magical at night and I definitely was ready for bed after that. Oh yeah, we slept well. We slept so well. The next day we got up bright and early and had another huge meal, which is typical of staying at a Japanese inn. Again, they spoil you, they right? spoil you, they make you fat and happy, but it's great. And we left there and it felt like a little too soon. It was like, you know. Can't we stay a little longer? Just a little bit more because <laughs> the sun came out and the, the leaves were gorgeous. The rain and stopped. So we headed back on the train, back on that wonderful ride through Akita Prefecture, headed back to Iwate Prefecture. And we went down to a town called Ichinoseki, which is close to a world heritage temple that I've been wanting to visit called Chusonji. Now Chusonji, like most temples, is usually only open during daytime hours, but this time, for a limited time in November, they've been doing, and I think they're still doing it right now, they're doing this evening light up special event where you can go and a lot of the main temple buildings are closed, but everything's lit up and gorgeous and you can just walk around and take photos. I couldn't believe the reflections on the ponds. There's no wind, everything is very quiet and the reflections made it look like double of what you're seeing. It was really cool. Was, Super magical. There were so many photographers there. It was out of control. I mean, there were a lot of photographers there, but everybody was super quiet, kind of reverent, and just taking their time. So it still had this really just peaceful atmosphere. Mm -hmm. We were lucky because when we went, we had to take a taxi. The local train doesn't run very often around there. And we took a taxi from Ichinoseki to Chusonji. 
And thankfully, we had the coolest little grandpa taxi driver who chatted us up along the way. And he happened to mention, hey, do you want me to just take you up to the top, right to where the light up is happening at the top of the temple? So we were like, sure, okay. Had no idea that it was actually a huge hike to get up to the temple and that he saved us so much time and so much energy. <laughs> and when we were you know, done seeing the sights, walking down was kind of delightful. There was, you know, we were some of the last people there. Yeah. And it was nice because we then realized, Ah, yes. Good man for driving us to the top. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) And then thankfully there was another cab down at the bottom who could take us back to the station. Yeah, we really lucked out there. We also had a fun little walk before that in the afternoon. We walked from Ichinoseki Station to a brewery, a sake and beer brewery called Seki no Ichi. And the place is super cool. It's set in this old Kura building and the property is, has been Uh, restored. There's a little museum there. There's a great sake store and there's a restaurant. It's all these things, but it's a multi-generational business. So fun to grab some of the local sake and get a taste of the culture. It was nice to see where you could make your own label too. And we happened to see a couple bottles we liked and packed them up and shipped them to our place in Tokyo. Yeah, that's the thing. It's nice when you go to these places and you can have them shipped. So if you're traveling light and you don't want to schlep a few bottles of sake, just ship them. Only You can ship them to your hotel if you're here on vacation. I think it cost 800 yen to ship a couple bottles. Yeah. The next day, we decided to go to another World Heritage site, Motsuji Temple. And one of our cab drivers the previous night said, oh, you have to go here because of this and because of that. Yeah, he was so kind. He actually, when he when he dropped us off he at the hotel, he stopped and he actually left his car running and ran into the hotel with us to ask the guy at the front desk if there was a pamphlet about Motsuji Temple because he really wanted, wanted us to go there. He was delightful. Yeah, and he gave us a bunch of Werther's candies to take with us. <laughs> These are German. <laughs> <laughs> These are German candies. Um, so then, so... We decided to go to Motsuji the next day and had beautiful, perfect weather. The whole place is surrounded by trees of all colors. And at the center of the temple property is this gorgeous, huge pond, practically verging on a lake. Every, you know, bright red tree that you saw around the edge was reflected and you just saw double the awesomeness. And that was so fun. Most of the buildings around the pond had all burned down from fire back in the day. and Hundreds of years ago. Yeah, they you know relied on fire, not just for heat, but for light. So you can imagine how volatile all this construction is. Everything was, um, you know, no longer exists in the area. You could see some stone foundations of temple buildings that probably date back to the Heian era. And they also do this poetry event that is a tribute to the Heian period. Every year, it's this water poetry party. People get dressed up in traditionals or flowing robes of the time from, you know, 1,200 years ago, dressed like the nobility, like court people. They sit around these beautiful scenic spots, and they compose poetry and just sort of recreate the scene from history, which I think that would be another super cool thing to visit in the future. I guess it's held every year at the end of May, so we need to put that on the calendar. Mm -hmm. And just to mention one more thing, this is just a little tidbit for all my literature and poetry friends out there. There's a monument to the poet Matsuo Basho 
And there are two stones there, one of which I can't remember which one was allegedly inscribed by the poet himself. But this haiku was composed for this spot. Natsukusaya tsua monodomo ga yume no ato, which means summer grasses. This is all that now remains of warriors' dreams. <laughs> I just got the chills reading yeah, that. Yeah, so neat to. I just love this stuff. <laughs> I just geek out on it. So after that, we just decided, okay, the last night of our trip is going to be another onsen situation. So some good friends of ours said, "Hey, have you ever been to Hanamaki Onsen?" I said, "Nope, let's go." And the place they recommended was actually all booked up because this was at this point very last minute. We booked a place nearby the place our friends had recommended, and we took the Shinkansen to Shin Hanamaki Station. And the local inns have a free shuttle that you can get from the station, and it's another just beautiful journey out through the countryside, out into the mountains. And this little kind of onsen village is actually a series of little onsens up this winding mountain road. So we get to the place, and what we thought was a yokan was more of a yokan hotel, and a busier than we had expected. Yeah, a little bit more of a hotel vibe than we were looking for. I, again, like in this finding sublime thing, we're really just looking to relax and a little bit of quiet. Yeah, peace and quiet. It was a little bit chaotic when we got there, but I have to thank Jason for helping me calm down and find a really special thing right outside the hotel. Yeah, I remember there's a moment where we got to the room and we realized that there's no private onsen. It's there, well, actually there was one. And it was all booked up for this, already for this huge hotel. Right after we checked in, we thought, we'll book our private onsen time, which we normally do. But no. No. <laughs> so Ugh. so you were you were aggravated and yeah. you know I I suppose we work hard to uh, have moments of peace and quiet and that's what we were looking for and when, when we didn't have that it was a bummer but hearkening back to what you're just saying is how do you find those moments mm. um, so you know looking out the window from this multi-story building there's a beautiful river going mm. by and it's starting to get dark mm. and the rain had stopped and I had said, you know what, let's go down to the river. There's nobody down there. We spent a good long time just listening to the water rushing down, right down at the water. Yeah, that was the best. I really needed that yeah. so much. It was nice to, to think differently and to regroup because mm. we were looking for things that we didn't get. Mm. But that's that's also, you know, you're trying to find sublime. You know, finding mm. sublime isn't always easy, right? It takes work, I think. It takes work. Sometimes you can't just stumble onto the serenity. You have to sort of find a way to achieve it. We found it. In spite of whatever's coming your way. Yeah, it was it was a little difficult, but standing on the bridge over the, the water, being able to see the sun go down, mm. uh, seeing those bright, bright colors diminish from the sun going down behind the mountains was quite interesting because you knew all those bright colors were there, but you had to focus on different things like the sounds and the smells. It was really, really a moment to circle back and to remember exactly why we were there. Mm -hmm. And we found it, it just took a little bit more conscious effort. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, we just had to choose to pivot and choose to shift our attitude, mine in particular. But I really, really, um, I really enjoyed that. And I'll never forget that just sort of standing by the river, watching the world float by. Mm -hmm. And also later that night, now we didn't have the private onsen, but I did go into the women's onsen and um, they had a couple of outdoor baths and a couple of them are these individual, it's called a goemonburo. It's a big kind of ceramic cylindrical sort of one or two person size bath. And this thing was outside alongside the river facing the mountain on the other side of the river was all lit up with lights to see the fall colors. And then the moon in the sky over the mountain, the moon is almost full and it was so bright. And I'm just sitting there in this tub. It was your moment. Moon bathing, which is just like, that's who I am. <laughs> you found it. I found it. I did not want to leave, but I was starting to turn into a little pink lobster and I decided I shouldn't hog the bath, but I, I got some good time in. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. Thank you. That was a good sort of, you know, time to, it was a good way to wrap up yeah. the trip. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's once again, that's how you shift. That's how you move into a different mindset. That's mm. part of this whole thing of trying to find sublime. What is finding sublime? You're always on the hunt and then you can find it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's hard. Yeah. But we had a good time thinking consciously about the moment. Mm -hmm. Being like, oh, we've got to, we've got to switch this around. And we did. And it was nice. And I look forward to going back to that region. Yeah. I'm, I felt very fulfilled at the end of it all. The next morning was a little cool outside. We got back onto the shuttle, took us to the station. And, you know, we just had to give thanks to the world for offering this up for us. Something about that just really helps me face the crowds more and helps mm. me deal with the chaos of city life more. Because as anyone who lives in any urban environment knows, you are just bombarded with noise. And of course, you're navigating crowds. And it's often very strenuous to be out walking and going up and down the stairs and doing all the things. But having that time, having a little bit of time with nature and just coming to that quiet space, coming to that quiet point, it just replenishes you and really makes you feel more capable to go back and deal with the crowds again and deal with the noise again. And take on tomorrow. And take on tomorrow. So here we are. And, and I'm still, I feel like I'm still sparkling a little bit a week afterward. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I always have said that half the fun of traveling is preparing to travel and the anticipation of travel. But through this conversation, I'm realizing that the other half is actually reminiscing. And the more you can just go back and reminisce and appreciate, like you're reliving it and I it agree. feels so good. So let's keep doing this. Let's keep doing it. <laughs> hey, thanks for tuning in to all of you. We really appreciate your support and hope to keep you coming back soon. Yeah, thanks for dropping by. And please visit findingsublime.com. Check out our social media channels and subscribe, like, and all of the above. And we like hearing from you. And sign up for our newsletter and we can get back to you. And don't forget about YouTube. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> all right, talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye. Bye.